clap. They don't amen. They go, loo, 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 the whole time. And I loved it so much, I brought it back to America. It's now in 46 different states, and it means I have victory over my enemy. And so if you've got victory over your enemy, be loud about it on three. One, two, three. I can tell we're going to have a good time today. Spirit family. Come on, somebody out there today. It's going to be great. And um, just kind of a heads up, tomorrow night, um, after we teach tomorrow night, we want to have the opportunity to lay hands on you and pray over your families and pray over you. And uh, that'll be after we do the questions and answers and make sure you get those questions in there. And uh, how many parents do we have of kids under the age of 12 that are in here? Oh, wow. All right. How many under the age of eight? Oh, yeah. We got <laughs> a lot of... A lot of parents, busy. I remember the season, right? Especially when you got the infants and you got the diaper changes. You're up in the middle of the night. You got the laundry and fixing the bottles. And it was exhausting just watching Holly do all of that. It was just a lot. <laughs> Not that, and I, I do help with changing diapers. I would tell her when the diapers needed to be changed. And so I was really... A big part of all of that. Now we changed. We did all of that. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. We the journey that we'll be talking about here in the next couple of days, that we've taken 28 years of journey, and uh, it it kind of kicked off. We had we have five kids. If you didn't know that, we have four boys and uh, a girl. And the reason we'll come on, so <laughs> yes. And I guess we can brag on our kids a little bit. We got. Uh, our two oldest graduated from college. One was a uh, uh, collegiate uh, gymnast for Nebraska, and he got a, uh, so he was out there. And then they're both working for the church now. The one does come on. One does the marketing. They each married incredible women, um, just incredible, who love us. I don't even know what to do with it. I, we have daughter-in-laws. Like you hear all the the horror stories, but we don't go through those. Um, they vacation with us, trip with us. They're over at our house every week. Well, <laughs> so many days a week. More than that. that. We've got two granddaughters, a three-year-old. We have uh, Olive, uh, who's three. And then we got little Honey, who's one, who loves me more than anyone in the world. And I love that. And uh, it makes me very happy. I, I'm like, I've never been loved like this in my entire life. <laughs> she is just, she loves her grandpa. And then our, uh, our third son, Baylor, he'll be graduating from ASU in December. And, uh, and then we got Peyton, who will be graduating from uh, ASU in May. And then he's going to be going to law school. I need a lawyer, so because I, I need to sue people. And so <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> so, and then our daughter just turned 16. And uh, she's uh, never seen a B in her life. She's always straight A's. And uh, she leads in our worship band. All of our kids serve in church every weekend. And we have had great, amazing... Everything that we, we envisioned 28 years ago is what we're experiencing. And this is what we want families to also be experiencing. Because I can tell you this, 28 years ago when the journey started, we had a, about all, maybe almost a two-year-old and an infant. Holly was going to college. And uh, she came home. I was, I'd, watch, I'd watch the two at night after working all day. She came home, and uh, all the lights in the house were off, and she heard two babies screaming. She walked over, and they were each in their respective bedrooms in their cribs screaming, and she 
look throughout the house for me. Calling out, and finally she got to the master bedroom. Door was closed. Open it. The door lights were off. She wandered in and went to the master closet. The door was closed. She opened it up, turned on the lights, and I was laying on the floor, looking up at the ceiling, praying for Jesus to take me home. <laughs> I said to her, "I said I can't do that. I won't do this for 18 years. This is the worst night of my entire life." I said, "This this is this is unbearable." And we decided, and she found a parenting program for us, and it started, I think, the next week or the week after that, 16 weeks long. And we went through that, and then we signed up immediately again, and we went through another 16 weeks, and we did 32 weeks uh, for the next two years. We did 32 weeks, and then we became leaders, and we began to lead that for about five years, and then we began to teach that for about five years. And then we wrote our own program, which you all are here today, called Train Up a Parent. And we've been doing that almost uh, 20 years now, every single year. And the power in every year doing it, because some of you maybe have been through a parent, we highly encourage you to do parenting once a year for a program. Because you only hear things that identify with the season you're in. So when you've got little infants, then you hear that. And then you hear toddlers and you go through it again, you're like, Oh, I didn't hear. Okay, I did. Or you forgot. You're like, even when we teach it, we go, oh, we got to get back to doing that. We, we kind of got off on doing that. And we, the difference between a home raising up great kids and a home that is struggling is wisdom. We have got God. It's just we need that wisdom and that understanding to be able to apply. And there's not, right, we live in a world today where there's not a lot of information on raising kids that's any good, right? There's not biblical like, you didn't learn it in high school. You didn't learn it in college. Nobody sat you. They, you had a kid, and they go, have a good life. There you go. That's really how, what happens, and you've got to figure it out. And what parents do is they go through life, and they keep switching and changing what they're doing because they don't know if what they're doing is working. But when you are confident as a parent, and you're like, okay, this is what... We're following the Word of God. We're training up a child in the way they should go. And sometimes it may not look like it, but I stay on my course, and then you get to the season where we're at, and you're like, okay, this works, right? This works. Come on, the, the, um, in the world system, they have the gentle parenting. I'm like, I've never, right? Gentle parenting just makes mean kids. I'll be honest with you, right? I, I was uh, watching a video, and some some gentle parenter was talking about and throwing this tantrum. The kid was throwing a major tantrum. They're like, well, you just let a child have their tantrum. And I'm like, that doesn't, that's not fun, right? Because what happens is that child becomes an adult throwing adult tantrums because they were never taught how to control their emotions. And so, and, and so we, uh, um, little sa Savvy, my little daughter, I was watching her. She was about two years old at the time. And uh, I was having daddy-daughter time. We had fun. We played little dolls, and she, you know, what two-year-olds do, and played little people and had fun. And then it got to kind of the season where you're like, all right, I'm done. With, I need to do something, not this. And so uh, we're going to put on a little, little movie or something, throw a little cartoon on. And so I get on the couch, you know, watch a cartoon. But she's like, Daddy, I want to do tea party. And I'm like, all right, go do a tea party. Have fun, right? So off she goes, and she comes back. she got a little saucer and a little cup. And she goes, Daddy, you want tea? And I go, sure, I'll have your tea, right? Fake tea, right? But it had a little, little drink in it. And I went, oh, okay, you know, it's cool. So I, I drank it and gave it back to her. A couple minutes go by. She comes back. She goes, Daddy, you want tea? And I was a little, a little annoyed now because I want your stupid tea. But I'm fine. I'm a good dad. <laughs> I'll take her tea and drink her little tea. There you go. 
And off she goes. A couple minutes, she comes back. She goes, Daddy, you want tea? Now, I'm annoyed, and now my mind begins to think. I'm like, where in the world is she getting, like, water? Like, she's two. So I go, honey, where, where are you getting the tea? And she goes, potty, Daddy, potty. <laughs> How many people know that's what the world serves up? It looks like it's supposed to be good, but it's potty. It does not produce. But God's word will never turn a void. Come on, can I get an amen? A loo, 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 loo. I think we call train up a parent, train up a parent, because the Bible says train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is older, he won't depart. But how many of you feel like every now and again your child is trying to train you? Every now and again, your home is being led by the child rather than you being in charge. You ever, you ever done that? You ever had your kid ask for something and, and you're not sure if your no is no or if your yes is yes, and so you just go with one or the other? It's kind of like a gamble. I'll never forget, I came into the awareness that we needed help when my mom came over, and it was actually pre-second child. And um, to take a shower, to get my hair done, to put on makeup, I would put little Lakin in his high chair that had wheels on it, and I would roll him into my bathroom. Does anybody else relate? Right? Um, and my mom came over, and, and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I had to take a shower, and I had to get my hair done, and I had to put my makeup on. She's like, why is he in the high chair in your bathroom with you. Where's the porta crib? Where's the, the toys? Where's the cool thing that lies over him with toys hanging from it so he can lay on it and play while you're doing what you need to do? And it was in that moment that she said, who's in charge? And so one of the greatest things that I always share every single time is if you're sitting in here today and you're the parent you have permission to be in charge. Give yourself permission to be in charge. And oftentimes people look at me like, what does that mean? Well, come on. How many times are you in a negotiation with a three-year-old and it's all because you're not giving yourself the permission to be in charge? God gave you the authority over your child. Amen. God gave you the authority in your home. Amen. Didn't give it to the two-year-old. So why do we run around in our day being ran around in our day by two-year-olds and three-year-olds and eight-year-olds that want to negotiate, they want to um, get their way? I, we're called to train up our child. And so I just want you to know going forward into the rest of this afternoon, this morning, you have permission to be in charge. You have permission to be the mom and the dad. And there's a confidence that comes when you say, no, no, I'm mom, and this is what we're doing right now. And it's a powerful thing to watch the little people go, oh, okay. When you take that authority, the God-given authority that you have, and you walk confidently to be the mom and to be the dad, it's a powerful thing to watch everybody else just follow. <laughs> right? Yeah. Confidence, confidence is, it sells, right? Come on. Amen. Parents turn to each other and say, I'm in charge. <laughs> I'm in charge. You have permission 
permission to be the mom and the dad. You have permission to be mom and to be dad because it's your job to train up a child in the way they should go. If you don't train them up in the way they should go, then things get harder and harder. Start off today with the number one problem I, I think that um, parents um, have. And it's, a, it's a, a quick fix that you can take care of even today. And number one goes, you know, where there is no vision, my people perish. Right? Where there is no vision, there is no parameters. Most parents have kids and really don't have a clear vision. Kind of have a vision. Well, I just, you know, you talk to, I talk to parents, they're like, I just can't, I don't want to get them out of the house. I go, that was, that's your vision, get them out of the house? That's, that's, well, you know, I just want to raise up good kids. Okay, but there's a problem with the clarity of your vision, right? The, the clearer your vision is, the more you know how to prepare and what to do to get there. So just to raise good kids, what does that mean? Well, I, I don't know. I just want them to be, right? So it's like, Holly, you know, Holly goes, hey, where are, we go, where are we going on vacation? And I go, we're going to go somewhere nice. She goes, okay. How do you prepare for somewhere nice? Like what's nice to me might not be nice to her, right? Are we, go, are we going to the snow? Are we going skiing? Are we going to the beach? Are we going to the country? Are we going to a cabin? Are we going to a city? Where are we going? How do I pack? How do, how do I prepare for that? Right? I, I have to have a clear vision. I have to say, all right, we're going here, right? We're going to California, San Diego. We're going to go on the beach, and, and we're going to stay for seven days. Well, now we know how to prepare. We know how to bring the swim and the, the sunscreen and all the summer stuff, and, and we know the directions we need to take to be able to get there. And even if there's a detour, we know how to kind of navigate the detour so that we can get there. It's a clear destination. For us to say, I just want to raise up good kids, what does that look like, right? And so because I don't know what it looks like, right, I don't know how to get there. And this is for even some of you out there whose maybe kids are older. What, what do you want your family to look like in five years? What do you want your family to look like in ten? Maybe you're, you're single with no kids and you're here. You're right, you're right. And so what do you want your life to look like in five years or ten years? Well, I want to have a good life. But what does that look like? The clearer and the more concise your vision is, the more you know how to prepare, what to bring, and what to do to get there. And 28 years ago, Holly and I decided we need a vision. Our family needs a vision. What do we want our family to look like in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years? And so we begin to list out, well, we want to raise up kids who love God. Well, when you know, know that... Then you go, well, we need to be in church every single weekend. That's a high pr priority, right? Well, I just want to raise good Christian kids. Okay, but I want to raise up kids who love God, who love God's house. So that gives us a clear parameter of every weekend we know where we need to be for our house. We want to raise up kids that are highly successful, who don't give up, who persevere, who are confident in what God can do and what they can do. They love themselves. And they are givers to others. They love others. That other people are important to them. That, that, that they, they, they know that, that they give their best at whatever is in front of them. That they are producing great things in their future. We, we went through the list of things. We want to raise up kids who have integrity. Who, if they say something, they do it. We wanted to raise up kids who uh, love each other. Who are best friends. Who work hard. Who are givers. 
who have self-control. How many people know that we live in a generation now where kids don't have self-control? They don't know how to control themselves. They can't control their emotions. There's adults cannot control their emotions. We were not called by God to let our emotions run our lives. You know, an emotionally led life is a horrible life, right? But yet we let a three-year-old, right, remain in their emotions, in their fits and their tantrums, not realizing that if I don't drive that out, the Bible's very clear, if you don't take care of rebellion, rebellion will take care of you. And so, right, so we have this clear, and then ultimately the, one of the big ones that me and Holly had it was we wanted to raise up kids who enjoyed us and honored us and loved us. This is what we wanted. We were, I, I, wanted, I, I said to Holly, I said, I refuse to raise a kid for 18 years, have them move out, and call me twice a year. That's, a, that's unreasonable to me. We, I want to raise up kids who want to be in our world, who want to hang out with us. And because we had a clear definition of what we wanted, Parenting conferences every year. We had to have that. We need the wisdom, right? And there's things that we had to do. We, we, we had to sacrifice so much of, of back then when they're three and four and five. It was, it was work. But how many people know that God's plan is always I work here, but I got joy up there? The world's plan is I be lazy here, and then I have pain there, right? But God's plan is, hey, you do forth the work. You work your farm. You plant your seed. You make sure you've got a good environment. And then you will have a harvest. And here we are today, 28 years later, in our harvests. We, our kids came out. Right? Our older married kids with their wives come out and spend 10 days on vacation. We come out to the Cape every year. They come out and hang out with us for 10 days. And we, our family, we don't fight in our family. We don't have arguments. We get along every Sunday. Everyone comes over after church. Everybody's in church. Everybody's serving in the church. And, and everybody comes over and we spend the afternoon together laughing and having what we call Mi Amigo Sunday. And, and you watch the success of every child we have and the, the ladies they picked out. And the, it's, it's incredible to sit back. And I've been teaching about putting joy up ahead of you. And I tell, I've been telling the congregation, it's very difficult, right? And, and Holly actually gave me this revelation when we were on vacation. It's very hard for us not to be happy. Why is that, right? We live, we've created a world in 28 years where it's difficult not to be happy, right? But I know some people who didn't do the work, right? Didn't do the effort 25, 20, 15 years ago. And I look at their life and I go, that would be hard to be happy in that life. So, so we put joy up ahead, but we have to have a clear vision. Where do you want your family to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years, in 15 years, 20 years? Be clear, be concise, be detailed, and now go, how do we get there? Because I have to be able to get there. It's like a farm. You know, everything the Bible talks about is a farm. I go, okay, if I want apples, how many people know I don't plant tomatoes? If I want a child that has self-control, then I have to be teaching that child self-control at zero, at six months, at one, at one and a half, at two. I'm training so that when we get to five, I've already raised a child at five years old who when I say, hey, I need you to sit there for a little bit and just play uh, and color a little bit, and they actually do that, right? That's, that's self-control. They have the ability to control them. He, I'm, I, we, he, can I tell you today's culture? 
right? Parents just let their kids go anywhere they want in the house, touch whatever they want. They have to baby-proof their house, right? They have to lock everything up. Instead of house-proofing their child, they baby-proof their house. And so the child has no self-control, can't take them anywhere out there. And then all of a sudden, one day, they go to kindergarten, and we go, hey, I need you to sit here for an hour. And the child can't sit there for an hour because that child was never built the self-control muscle. And then now we have to get medicine involved only because we didn't teach the child to sit there and control yourself. You can, at two years old, I need you to sit there for 10 minutes and have room time. See, everything that we do has a purpose behind it. Holly began when they were, I don't know, you tell me when you want to get in. Uh, Holly began, right, having playpen time. Crib time, whatever you want to call it. And what they do is about 15 minutes, put them in a crib, give them a couple toys, not a gajillion toys. And they don't enjoy it in the beginning, but that's all right. What are they learning? They're learning to be able to sit and focus. And then when they're out of it, and now they have room time. And so room time will be 30 minutes. And they sit in there, a couple, just be quiet and just play for 30 minutes. And what you're doing, you're building that self-control muscle. A child that we brag about, oh, our child's so smart, so intelligent but they don't know how not to touch the remote control. You go, well, I should be able to leave the remote control right there and not have my child touch it. My child shouldn't be able to go over to your house and turn your TV on and off, on and off, on and off. Because remember this, the home is the training ground for where I go out in the world. What I allow in the home is what's going to happen out in the world. Come on, somebody. Get a Lord hand. Well, I like what, I like what Scott was saying about seeing your destination and knowing how to head in that direction. And, you know, it's scriptural because Jesus finished before he ever started. So he knew the end before he ever began the beginning. And I think that there's wisdom in that. Well, I know there's wisdom in that. What do you want your children to acquire in their lifetime? Or what do you want to instill in them that they, ha that they can acquire in their lifetime? Um, one of the big things for me, and, and this is where room time kind of evolved, is, you know, I wanted to raise up kids that were creative. I wanted to raise up kids that were critical thinkers. I wanted to raise up kids who were able to, like Scott said, manage their emotions and have self-control in our absence. I didn't want them to be dependent on, a, on authority figures to tell them how to be in certain situations. And one of the things with room time for me was I grew up playing outside. I grew up, you know, making our own fun. Maybe it was like, you know, dirt and sticks and, and you went out and you built a tree house or, you know, what you thought was a tree house or my kids, I wanted them to have that. I wanted them to get out there and use their imagination and not need every toy in the toy box, every toy in the store. I didn't want them to need every medium to be able to create a pretty picture. And so for me, I wanted to teach my kids, you can have XYZ be surrounded with four different of your toys and you can create something really powerful about with that. I think that there's a lot of overstimulation. I think that we're just giving everybody, giving our kids everything all at once. And it doesn't require that they use their creativity. It doesn't require that they think about what they're doing because they have everything at their fingertips. I wanted to see what my kid could create in a, in a picture with a piece of paper and colored pencils. I didn't offer all the, the markers and the crayons and the, and the whatever. And that's just a simple picture of what I mean by being able to be in a room and play with a certain amount of stuff and use your imagination, use your self-control, figure it out, be a problem solver. 
And I think that that comes with knowing the destination. What is it you're wanting to create and tell your kids they have on the inside of them? God's equipped them with some crazy, amazing talents. And you want them to know that they have that on the inside of them. You don't want to have to always be pulling it out of them. So what can you do now with a three-year-old and a five-year-old to share with them and to show them You've got amazing stuff on the inside of you. If we're always having to cater to it and not pull it out of them. And um, I just lost my train of thought. Go. Go. You don't, you don't lose your train of thought. He just goes. I just, <laughs> you know, we started doing, so when you have a clear destination, then it impacts, <coughs> it impacts what you do today. So 28 years ago, we began to do things. Like I said, we, church became a priority. Didn't get up, and, and my parents were the same way, where I, didn't, I never uh, woke up on a Sunday and went, I wonder what we're doing today. You always knew you, just, you were going to church today. That's what we, we did. We didn't get the, and even when, I, it was funny, because even when I was, hey, I'm sick, my mom's like, well, we're going to church, we'll get you healed. I never got out, of, we couldn't get out of church. Um, and it became a part of a life because it's, it's a legacy that my parents, I talked about this some last night, that my parents in one generation changed generations to come. They both came from broken homes and family filled with adultery, a few, filled with abuse, filled with extreme poverty. My dad literally didn't have electricity till he was a junior in high school. Um, he had to go to work when he was eight years old, not for money for himself. He was cutting timber and cleaning the entire high school every single day to put food on the table. That's the life that he had. In one generation, being a generation that said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, you see now my grandkids, right? Their kids, their grandkids, their great-grandkids. One generation changed because they started doing something different back in 1972. And so wherever your family is today, you can start changing the destination of your family. So right away, because relationship, church was important, so church was never an option, right? Because uh, success and not giving up is important. We never let our kids quit anything. Uh, if you sign up for it, we finish it because we are finishers. We are Andersons. This is what we do. We cultivated a family identity because we wanted family to be important. So we will say things like, hey, Andersons don't do that. Right? They're like, well, my friends get to it. We're like, that's, that's what your friends get to do. But Andersons, right. Andersons don't give up. Andersons don't quit. Andersons, right? So it's important that we, we cultivate, I'm just giving you a little tidbit here, a family identity. What's, what's your family identity? What, what are you, your family, what are your principles for your family like? And we begin to do family Sundays. See, a lot of times parents, like, there's no family time, and then all of a sudden they have a grandkid. They're like, hey, we want to come over for And the kid's like, we never did that before, right? It wasn't a habit. So you're putting habits in your kids today for what you want to experience later. So we started every Sunday after church. We'd go out for Mi Amigos, which is a Mexican food restaurant. It's our favorite Mexican food restaurant. And every Sunday we'd go, phones in a little basket, or we'd leave them in the car. No, we don't, no electronics. Because it's, what is the purpose? It's about relationships. It's not about just being next to each other while you're on the phone. It's about relationships. And so we talk, we talk about the week, we have fun, we laugh. Then we go home and we play a game. And then, kids, you can have your own time. This was something that we started decades ago. And now today, my adult children come over every single Sunday for Mi Amigo Sunday. And we get, now we got our grandkids, and you look around and you go, wow, this is something that we foresaw 25 years ago, 
but we had to put it in place 25 years ago so that we can experience it today. We made sure you only have a certain amount of vacations with your children, then they're grown up. That's gone, right? And so we made vacations were an important part, right? And we didn't have the money for great vacations in the early days, but we still went on vacation. We found a way, right, to, to put a little bit of money every week and do a little bit, get away for a week and make it fun and make it amazing and awesome until we are today. And then now the kids are like, yeah, we're coming with you to Cape Cod because we started coming to Cape Cod. That was our big vacation thing that we did every year that we put a certain amount of money away and we would come out to Cape. And so now they want to bring, now my grandkids are coming. Why? Because we didn't start it when they were adults. We were doing these things when they were children. We were already putting the future. We said, what do we want it to look like? And then everything that we did, um, Holly kind of instituted this when the kids were young, and, and now we all do it, is making sure, because relationships are important, so we have time with each child. We have five kids. We have time with each child alone. Go ahead. No, keep going. Okay. We, we, we have time. Every week, you're going to make sure that we have time. I have a daddy-daughter day every Saturday. I have lunch with each of the kids during the, the, the week. We have lunch every, during the week with each of the kids. We have a show that I'll watch with the kids. Holly has a show. She'll take each of the kids out for coffee. Why is that? From the time they were like two years old, I was having daddy-daughter date with my daughter. Take her out once a week, and we'd go out and do something. It has changed Right? It used to be dollar store, which would annoy her because she hates, I'd buy. I'm like, oh my, look at all the things I got. She's like, that's garbage. Right? I'm like, it was $12. Look at all this. I got 12 things. It just <laughs> blew my mind how many things I could get. <laughs> um, and now I have a 16-year-old daughter that looks, we started talking about it on Monday, yeah. looks so forward to a time on Saturday yeah. with her father. That's a rare thing. Yeah for a teenage girl, right, that, to have that, where daddy-daughter date is important to her. Yeah. We've cultivated a relationship. I didn't wait until she's 16 having problems going, hey, we need to start going out. She's like, I don't want to go out with you, right? It was something that we did early on. Well, I'm going to piggyback off of that because you, you actually um, helped me remember what I was going to say is all oh, okay. too often we see being a mom or a dad as a job. And, you know, admittedly, there are so many aspects of it. It is a job. It can be really, <laughs> really laboring to be the mom, to be the dad. And it can feel kind of under-rewarding at times, right? Like you're kind of like, when am I going to see the fruit of all that I do? But I'm listening to him. I'm listening to Scott talk about what he means or what he, how he matters to his 16-year-old daughter who drives. She doesn't have to spend Saturday with her dad, but she looks forward to it all throughout the week and is super excited to go and hang out with him on Saturday. I mean, mind you, he takes her to Forever 21 and all the... <laughs> I, I have to put that in there, because come on. <laughs> free clothes, yeah. <laughs> free, free accessories, you know it. Um... But I was thinking about, you know, making that decision to, I had someone years ago, I heard a radio, uh, it was one of those, like, I was driving to, to school, and I heard on the radio, it was one of those ones, call in and you can win something. And they asked the woman that called in, uh, what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm just a mom. And he got frustrated with her. He said, oh, don't ever say that. 
I have a wife who's at home with my kids right now, and she is way more than just a mom. It's a profession. You're doing something extremely important. You're raising up a next generation. You and your you and your spouse, you're a picture of your you're a picture of God and Father God to your kids. What to expect? The goodness of you. You're teaching your kids that when they read the word and they hear Father God loves them and mean has good things for them and has promises and blessings for them. We get to be a picture of that on a bigger on a smaller scale of what the word is supposed to be to our kids. We're instilling inside of them the, the excitement and the anticipation of, of what Jesus accomplished and who God wants to be in their life, the authority over them, the ultimate authority. And so he, this announcer, he said to her, he said, no, he's like, what you're doing is, is really important. And I think that all too often we get going in our week, get going in our day, and we don't keep attached to the fact that we are building legacy. It's going to be a legacy left, a continuation of, of the things that were important to you now get to be carried out in your kids and, and then their kids and on and on. It's a heritage. It's a legacy. It's a powerful, powerful opportunity that we have. And I was just thinking about that. Don't, under, don't undervalue your role as mom. Don't undervalue your role as dad. And don't undervalue that they see it in those hard moments or on the other side of the hard moments, maybe not in the hard moment, but on the other side of those hard moments, you know, the word's very specific about love is discipling our kids. When we disciple our kids, when we discipline, when we have to say the no and we get to say the yes, we're imparting so much into them, so much more than just the yes or the no. Amen, amen. Forever 21 is the dollar store for clothes. I don't know if you knew that. I, I love Forever 21. It's the same thing. I haven't changed anything. I come home, and Holly's like, she got three shirts. I'm like, it was like $12. How did they even, how did they even make money there? I love that place. And, um, you know, one of the things I really would like it if you just wrote it down, even on your heart or somewhere, and made it important, that ultimately relationship with your children is the, is the focus. It really needs to be on your mind. It changes how you come down in the morning. When, when it really developing a great relationship with my children is important, then do I come down grumpy and mm -hmm, or do I have to, right? I want my kids, right? I want, I want them to want to be around me. I come down with a smile on my face. Good morning. Right? I see them. Hey, right? It's, it's exciting to see you. It's exciting to have you in my life, right? You're like, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, right? And, and, you, when relationship's important, then it changes how you do things. I see so many times you go down to the park, I go with my granddaughter, and you see parents who are spending time with their children, right? So time has become the focus, right, for the generation. So the kids are playing, and they're on their phone or whatever, and look up every once in a while, and you spent an hour of time with the child. But you didn't grow the relationship. I'm not about, I'm not about time. I'm about how much relationship can I get out of the time. I can get more relationship out of driving with my daughter to get gas in 10 minutes than many parents can get in two hours of hanging out and being around them because they're not about the relationship. They're just on their phone. They're doing their thing. They're talking. They're doing something different, and we hung out. Hanging out doesn't grow anything, right? There's people you sit on the bus. You're spending time with a bunch of people that will never go anywhere. So making relationship a priority 
right, when you have a meal together, right? Is it everybody just on their phones and stuff, or are we having, is relationship going to come out of this meal? And I know kids are annoying. You know, it's on, on Me Amigo Sunday, everybody, all right, leave your phones on the counter, right? And then they always have the kid trying to smuggle one in, right? Right? Because why? Because I'm not going to sit at a table that we've provided for and have you on your phone and communicating with somebody who isn't even here today when we're right here. Because this time on Sunday is going to be about growing our relationship together, coming outside of yourself, right? Because I, we're not going to raise up selfish kids. Everything we do, it's about other people. Well, again, you brought it back to the Word because relationship, God wants you to know Him. And He wants to know you. He wants you to know His character. He wants you in his word. He wants you studying. He wants you to be able to recognize and hear his voice when he speaks the first time. And so, again, we get to be this amazing picture when we're cultivating this family identity and these relationships with our kids. It's, again, just on a smaller level, this amazing picture of who God wants to be for our lives. What he did when he sent Jesus, what did that mean for him? Do we know God the way that he wants us to know him? Are we in his word? Do I recognize what he is saying? Do I even recognize his voice? Do I recognize what's not his voice? See, when we really see this this opportunity that we have as mom and dad and, and what it means on a grander scale in this idea that we're raising up people that are going to turn into adults who are going to love God or not, who are going to press into God or not. We get to be this picture and we get to steer them. And yeah, it's laboring and it's hard, but man, it is so affirming when you watch them grow into these amazing adults who have a passionate, passionate love for who God is and who he wants to continue to be in their life. Amen, amen. And maybe your children are adults, and there's some things I'm talking about. You're like, I want that. Cool. Then make that your vision. Make it, right, put it up. Begin to pray for it. Begin to take, as I talked about last night, take some baby steps towards it, right? God, how do I do that? Get some information. Get some books. So how do we begin to create a relationship? Maybe your kids are in their 30s or 40s, and you feel like, I don't have her. Well, we serve a restoration God. It's never too late to begin to change my future. I meet with parents all the time whose kids are like, eh, what do you do? I go, what do you mean, what do you do? You press in every day in trying to get the vision and the desire that you have. I serve a God who gives me the desires of my heart. If you have, but I do have to do my part. I may want desire to have Jericho, but how many people know I have to do some laps around and let God do the rest? And so some laps that you may have to do in your family to get the promised land blessings in it, but God will do all the things that you can't do, but he just expects you to do some things. And so to have that this spirit-filled family, we got to have a vision, right? We have to have a vision. And we have to realize this. I'm going to go back to like younger kids. Like when I want to raise up kids that have self-control, then I have to be working on their self-control. And oftentimes we go, well, in the next season, right? In the next season, that I won't have the fits and the tantrums. No. If you can't control a four-year-old, that four-year-old's going to be a crazy 16-year-old. It just cycles back. They may get out of it a little bit in grade school and stuff, but all of a sudden 15, 16 happens, and you're like, where'd this come from? You know where it came from. It came from when they were four, and you didn't deal with it. 
You didn't deal with the fits and the tantrums and teaching your children to have self-control. And if it's not dealt with, then you raise up adults who don't have the ability to control themselves. That's what life's about, isn't it? Romans 8 is all about controlling yourself. Either you do things the spirit and God's way or you do things the flesh way. So if I don't teach children to do the right thing for the right reason when they're young and put it in their heart where it navigates their life, then 15, 16, 20, 30s become very difficult on their lives. Our job is to make life as easy as possible. I look at my children and I go, that's pretty good life, right? They're living a, pr a pretty dang good life when I look at other teenagers who are going through some big struggles in their life, right? Because they didn't have parents who said, hey, we're going to train you to live a biblical life. Follow God's word. How many people know God's word is all about giving you a great life? God, God didn't go Abraham and go, hey, how do we ruin their, their life? How do we make, right? Same thing we do as, as parents. Like, I send you to school not because I'm mean, right? I send you to school because it's going to give you a good future. I want you to get good grades, not because I'm just some jerk, but I want you to get good grades because I'm teaching you so many things. I want you to share, right? Everything throughout the Bible is backwards in the world, right? But I saw this. My son actually pointed this out to me. When Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, it said, I've never seen this before, these are so that you have a great life. Because like, I didn't give you Ten Commandments just to, to ruin your day and to take away your fun. No, if you follow these, this will give you a great life. Right? Jesus is like, the, the rule is to work for you. These principles that I give you is meant to give you a great life. And so our job is to put the principles in our children so that they can have a great life. Are we taking a little break at, at 11? Is that how it's worked? I, didn't, I should have asked you. Okay, so a little break in ah, four minutes. Um, control, I'm going to see if I want to go on a little. You have something, baby? Go. Or no? I, I kind of do. Go ahead. Okay, so one of the big things, one of the buzzwords in, you know, whenever we do this in our church is the difference between a child-centered home and a parent-led home. And that is where child-centered is, kid is in charge, and everybody and everything and all of our decisions revolve around child. Now, I'm not saying that, like, you have an infant and it has to eat at a certain time, and you're like, oh, well, we're not child-centered, so you're just going to have to eat when you eat. I don't mean that. <laughs> But think about this. Mom and dad existed first. The relationship was, is the primary relationship. Mom and dad existed first. Mom, you existed first. Dad, if you're a single dad, you existed first. Children are a welcome addition so into that relationship. It should never be subject to kids. It should always be kids are a welcome addition to the relationship. Mom and dads, we stop dating each other because we have children, and, and the children have all these needs, and, and so we put everything else on hold, and, and dad doesn't have hobbies, and mom doesn't have hobbies, and they don't get to go and do things together because now we have the children. Well, and that's awesome, and I love that we're mindful that we have little humans in our households. But it can't be at the sacrifice of the primary relationship. If the primary relationship isn't healthy, what happens? Everything else falls apart. <laughs> so it has to be parent-led, and we have to give value to the primary relationship that first existed, right? So um, I don't know why I went into that, because where I was really it. heading... Okay, because I want to come back to that. Okay. What I was really heading into is one of the big things for Scott and I in this concept of having vision and looking for destination was not just that our children, you know, 
comply and are well behaved and grow up to, you know, do great and amazing feats. Um, but it was also so that other people enjoyed our children. You know, the word's really specific about being a server. The, the Bible, you know, talks about serving. Jesus served. And so we wanted to raise up kids that were others conscious, that they were very mindful that they didn't exist in the world by themselves, but that any, at any given point when they walked into a room, they realized that they're not just the only person. <laughs> and so when they walked into a room, it wasn't more like, hey, I'm here. It was more, hey, I found you. It was more, let me look and find you. Let me, what can I add to this as, as, a, as a whole? And I think one of our big things was we wanted people to enjoy our children. Mm-hmm. Have you ever met children you, you, you like for the first five seconds and then you're like, oh. I don't and, I, and I get personality conflicts, believe uh-huh. me, I do. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we never wanted to be the family that walked in and it was a really good endeavor because we had four boys and I've seen the looks when we would board a plane to come to Cape Cod. Nobody wants to sit by us. They were terrified. Mm-hmm. And you add the little girl, and they're like, oh, Lord, really? Hey, Four boys and please. like a screaming girl infant? We didn't have that. And so that was part of vision for the, for the end. But I guess what I'm trying to say is how many of you have coworkers? How many of you work with adults who you go, I bet you were that kid (laughs) that people really didn't like to see headed their direction. Uh And so that was huge for us. It was how can we bless the world? How can we go further in the, how can my four-year-old be an example of being raised in a spirit-filled home, a home that loves Jesus, all while being able to be a kid? I mean, it's not like our kids did everything perfect, because they certainly didn't. (laughs) We had a lot of, a lot of training there, right? But I think it was, the end for us was not just kids that people will enjoy in the now, but raising adults that will be likable into their their days of adults and, and going into their professions and will people be able to work with them and will people be able to see Jesus shine through them? Amen, amen. We parent today for what we want tomorrow. We parent at home, I said that, for what we want. If we want to raise up kids who the world doesn't revolve around them. Those are horrible adults. Those are horrible spouses when everything is about them because that's not biblical. Biblical is everything is about other people, and that's a happy life, and that's a good life, which means, parents, that if your kids do things that annoy you, they annoy others. I want to raise kids that are not annoying. That is number one. I don't, I, I don't like annoying kids. I don't like to drive somewhere, and I got kids in the back, beep, 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 boop, 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 but the little game is up, right? Or you can hear their music or, or their, the, whatever video is on their phone, and I can, I can hear that. That's not being conscious of me. I don't want to hear your stupid stuff. We're listening to the 80s right now. That's what we're doing as a family. It's a very important. Ario Speedwagon's on. That's the most important thing we're doing right now. Right? But, then, but see, see, what happens is, see, you don't parent the annoying out. So now I'm on a plane, and then Pastor Scott has to sit next to that kid. He's all beep, 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 boop, 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 boop for four hours because that child was never taught that other people matter, that other people, there's adults, right? You ever see those on the plane? They're like on their phone. They're like, hey, how are you? They're on the speakerphone. I was all, yes, we went to the party. Yeah, it was so great. <laughs> and you're like, I, I, why? No one wants to hear your stupid conversation. You are a selfish person 
who doesn't care about anyone else and their experience. You're the person that kicks somebody's chair in the theater. You're the one that when you open up your candy in the movies, oh, it sounds like you crawled into the bag. <laughs> you know, you all know who I'm talking about, right? You've seen this person. You're the person who goes to the McDonald's and leaves your food in the table a big mess because nobody else matters, right? I have rights, Pastor. This is my right. I paid. No, no, no. You don't, you don't have a right to be rude and to be mean and not care about other people, right? We train our children by our example. You don't get to be annoying in my house. Don't get to be annoying because if you're annoying here, you're going to be annoying out there. And when you're annoying, that means that you're not thinking about anybody else. And I will not raise up children who are all about themselves. See, everything is pointing towards the destination. So I, you need to have enough self-control. If you want to listen to your video game, get headphones. And if you ain't got headphones, I guess you'll have to play it without any sound because you're not going to get to be rude. You don't get to be mean. In our house, our house is a quiet house. You want to play loud? Go outside, right? Because if, I didn't, if you get rambunctious in the house, then you're going to be running through. The, you're the kid that runs through the church because you were not taught to be conscientious of everybody else's experience. Life is not about you. It's about other people. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. Do I hand it off to you or do I just give the Lord a hand clap if you learned anything? Amen. I absolutely love him. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so good. That's so good. All right. Number two, you can write this down. Remember, everything we say, we parent today for what we want tomorrow. Our homes and our family is a farm. What I plant is going to be my harvest. So as I begin to look at, okay, what do I want? If I want apples, I better plant apples. If I want self-control, then i got to work on self-control. If I want a child who loves God, then i got to make sure I'm in church. Everything that I do today is putting something into my future. Number two is a big one, is we raised our children to the biblical standard. We don't lower the standard to our child. I'm going to say that again. We... There's, the Bible gives us the standard. This, this is how we live life. So I raise my kids to the standard. This is the standard. But what I see many parents do is they lower the standard to the child. And when you do that at two years old and three years old and five years old, what I'm doing is I'm raising a child who will rage against the things that the Word of God says to do in their life, which ultimately doesn't bring a good life because we know that. The closer that we can do kingdom living, the closer to a kingdom life we will have. And so I have to make sure I have a mindset as a family. If you're single, you. If it's husband, wife, you, too, you. Grandparents, we all have a mindset that this is the standard, right? And so I, I raise them. But what you'll see parents do is they'll lower the standard to the child, and then they have a dumb excuse or a dumb reason. They have a child that, that doesn't share, and they're like, well, you know, he's just a leader, no, he's a jerk. That's not a leader. You'll never find any leadership book ever that says that leaders don't share. That doesn't even make sense. You say things that, that don't even make sense, right? You got a kid that's running around telling me, he's like, oh, boy. No, he's all no control. That's what he is. He's no control, right? And so what you did is you, you gave a reason for her, for her or his bad behavior, 
and you labeled it with an excuse for it to be below where it's supposed to be, rather than saying, hey, we're working. The great thing to say is, we're working on that, yeah. and we can work on it right now, right? Little Johnny, come on over here, right? And we're working on it because our kids are going to do things. They're, we're working on our kids all the way until they get up into the teenage years, and that's understandable. But not be the parents that lower the standard to where the child is, right? We got a child who uh, is, well, they're just, you know, she's a girl. She's just emotional. And I understand. We have a daughter because people are like, wait, do you have a daughter? And I'm like, I got a daughter. And yes, daughters, women feel scientifically things, men, whatever you feel, multiply by 10. So when you're in a fight, you're like, wow. You're like, yes, they're feeling what you're feeling times 10. But once again, just because you're, I have a daughter doesn't mean that you are not to control your emotions because the Bible talks about making sure that we are in control of our emotions because emotions that lead your life will destroy your life. So yes, I get it, but I still have to make sure, right? Well, she's just a girl. No, no, no. You can control your, you can have emotions. We'll talk about this a little bit today. You can, you can have emotions, but I want to make sure that you are in control of your emotions because a girl who raises up who is not in control of her emotions makes a very difficult marriage, makes a very difficult in working environment. Everything in life becomes difficult because her emotions are leading her life rather than in her being in control and being spirit-led and not emotionally driven in her life. Well, you know, you know she just, she's just shy. Well, no, she is in a way being rebellious. That's what it is. You get a little four-year-old, you're like, say hi, and they hide behind your legs and stuff. And you're like, well, they're just shy. No, no, no. See, you've labeled something on them that they'll carry on that is unbiblical. They're born into this world screaming. They are not shy. You said they are shy. You say it enough, they become shy. No, because the world is not about you. It's not all about you. And so you have to step out of yourself sometimes and do something kind, which means simply just say hello. You can say hello at three years old. You can say hello at four years old. I'm not going to label you and give you an excuse to be rude and mean to somebody that is in front of you. See, make sure, and I'm, I'm going on a tangent here because I started, is that every word that you speak about your child is producing. Do not put a limit or put a chain or shackle your child ever. Everything that my Bible says is I can do all things through Christ Jesus. So I will never say something out of my mouth that is going to limit them because many, all of us probably in here, at one time when we were growing up, somebody said something about you, it stuck, and it became something that held you back as an adult. You were shy. You're not good at math. What do you mean I'm not good at math? Everybody's good at it, right? You can, you can be a good, you may have to work harder than other people. Well, he's just not good at English, right? And so then we have these limiters now. As, as God puts something in front of you, you're like Moses goes, well, I can't really talk very well. I'm not good in front of people, right? Well, stop it. God's like, I gave you a mouth. It doesn't have to be what you do. I am strong where you are weak. Come on, somebody out there. You know, ever. We had a teacher literally tell us. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. We had, we had a teacher that tell us uh, with our son uh, when he was in the third grade, he's horrible at math. Math is not good for him. And I'm like, well, it's very important. And Holly said, to, very important that you never say that to him. I never want to have him hear you say those words. And then we began to go home, and we were saying, Holly, Holly got me, and we both began to say how good he was at math. Yep. And he was horrible, because I have a math degree. So I'm just like, oh, yep. my gosh, honey, yep. he is bad at math. Yep. 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 <laughs> like, I'm like, Please look. So we would just say it, and we would say, you love math. And then all of a sudden, you're like, what's your favorite, you know, what's your favorite subject? And he's like, I love math. And I'm like, that shouldn't be. And, but I'm like, great. Yeah. 
right? And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets to junior high and high school and he begins to excel at math, right? And so something that somebody tried, because the devil wants to label your child with things that will hold them back. We are people who I speak life into everything. You're not shy. They're bold. My children are not shy. That's a limiter. I'll never speak something that limits my child. I love that. Advocate. You advocate for your child. And that's exactly what we did. We, we let them know you may have him XYZ hours in the day, but this is what our expectation is for you with him. And we'll work with you um, on this situation at home. But, you know, advocate for your child, not just with other people, but for yourself. Tell them. I love that. The, the power of our words. The Bible's very specific about the power of our words. It can bring life. It can create. Or it can tear down. It can... It can harm us. Um, I wanted to add, you were talking, and you said you went off on a tangent. And so part of the reason for that is we're giving you kind of an overview of Train Up a Parent. Mm -hmm. It's very, very extensive. So what you're getting today is like... <laughs> yeah, we're trying to give you just the overview. We're trying to give you some of the 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 pieces that drive the rest of the training sessions. And so understand that there's a lot of like little examples in the class, in the book. And so today we're just kind of giving that overview of it. I just wanted to, yeah, put I that out that. there. I had something else, but it'll come You'll back come to You'll come back. Me. Yep, you will. Your words, power. Yeah, I cringe. I get around a parent and their kid is like, and they're like, oh, little Jimmy's a handful. Um, and so Jimmy goes, oh, I'm a handful, right? Because we all remember as a child, people said something about it, and it stuck. Mm -hmm. Don't say things you don't want. Make sure that everything that you say and comes out of your mouth is what I want, right? Yeah. Because if I'm a farmer and, and I'm, I'm just throwing weeds out there, how many people know I'm going to get weeds? I don't want weeds, but I, I, I'm putting weeds out there. Your words could be a weed or they can be something that grows life. And you say, oh, no, little Jimmy, he's got self-control. We're working on it, but he's got you're so much self-control in you. You're such a good kid. And you begin to say it in front of people and go, right, you brag on them to their grandparents, right, to the people. You're like, so well-behaved. In your mind, you're like, not well-behaved at all. But you're like, so well-behaved. And that child begins to go, oh, I'm well-behaved. I didn't know that. I'm well-behaved. And all of a sudden, they begin to follow your words. Your words have so much power. Over your home. Well, you're, you, you guys are just slobs, right? right? We, we, we just throw words out all the time, right? No, you're messy, clean people. That's what you are. You're very messy, clean people, who, right? You, you, and we clean up, and you begin to just speak life over your home and over your family. Um, so Lakin was about four years old at the time, and I was, oh, go ahead. No, you go first before I go to the story. Um, one of the ways that we, and I want to go off on your tan. I want to go, no. I want to speak to your tangent. So he was talking about the shy, he was talking about the non-sharer. Um, one of the, so I'm going to get, I'm going to give you just one of our little bit nitty-gritty, and this is, um, before we would go anywhere, one of the things that we found that really, really helped us, it really aided us, is we would say to our kids, knowing where we, what environment we were headed into. So, you know, it's not that we had the absence of the things that he's talking about. It's just that we knew on the other side of those things what we wanted our kid to grow into. So I had the kids. We had four boys. They were rambunctious. They loved to run around. We have a little girl. And, you know, she did have a propensity when she was little. And she's around people all the time. 
time. So, you know, and come on, women, we just have our moments. It's like I want to be chatty and then I don't, you know? So what we would do is we, knowing what environment we were headed into, we would say, hey, guys, we're headed to church today. Um, it's going to be kind of packed. There's a lot of people walking around, all different age groups. Some people might have food in their hands. Some might be moms with little babies. So what do we do when we go into church? Are we running around? Are we being crazy? Are we being loud? If we're going to go into a restaurant, you know, are we going to go in like, you know, the charge of the bulls? Are we going to go and be crazy? Or how are we going to go in? So we would set our kids up to already be thinking, what should my behavior be in this environment? My daughter, I would say, hey, you know what? She's three years old. And I would say, you're going to have at least one person today say, you look super cute today. What do you respond? What do you say back? And I would let her say whatever did she was, you know, hopefully it was going to be kind. I mean, you know, thank you. <laughs> but and, she, and, and it wasn't that she had to hold a full-on conversation with whoever's going to compliment her. I could say it's as easy as thank you. How about just a smile? How about not hiding behind my leg and just standing there and holding my hand and nod. I don't know. But that was a huge key for all the different environments that we would take our kids into was the pre-talk, the pre-whatever. Set your kids up for success. Tell them what you expect. Do they know what your expectation is? And that was a big one for us, is I would always say, what is my expectation of you going over to grandma's house? Do we break the toys? Do we stand on the toys? Because grandma doesn't care, but I care. And so set your kids up for success. Talk to them before you head into situations. Ask them what, if they know what your expectation is. That is setting them up for success. And then you're going to be really surprised sometimes when you hear back what they think that they think you want. <laughs> and then you can say, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to do this instead. And that information is transferable. You know, when we would talk to our kids about being in the church foyer, I was just sharing with Pastor Judy, when we would be heading into the church foyer, and I would give them the information of why we don't run around and why we don't act like heathens, and, you know, we're all over the place. Well, then when we would go to the mall or when we would go to another place that had a lot of different people and a lot of different age groups and a lot of busyness going on, your kids are smart. And my kids were able to go, oh, I probably need to be mindful in this environment, just like I was trained to be mindful over here with the same exact dynamic of this environment as well. I see all of the different age groups. I see mamas. I see grandparents. I see people carrying food and hot coffees, just like I do over here. And when I'm told I need to be mindful of that, that, that information is transferable. Environments are transferable. So when you communicate and you have those pre-discussions, you're just setting your kids up to be really, really amazing rock stars. That's so good. I give the Lord a hand clap somebody out there. So, because it's, it's one of the most powerful, it really is um, one of the most powerful things as parents, tools that Holly started doing and brought into the family was the pre. On the way there, you fill their moral warehouse, remind them, bring it up to the top, because kids are kids, especially if you got a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, even a three-year-old. You put it in before you go to grandma and grandpa's. Hey, when we go in there, do we touch? Do we do? Do we run? And then, like, you put it up in the in, in the frontal part of the brain there, and then you find out that you don't have all the problems. And we would find, like, sometimes we would forget, and you get, and you're like, oh, hold on, family meeting. Come here. All right, what do we do? 
right? And it was so funny because we've had many times. One of the powerful things, it's in the program, just so you know that. The train of a parent is meant for you to grab some other couples, yep. right? We have the videos online, which are absolutely free. You watch the video each week for 10 weeks, and then you talk about it, and then you apply it, and it, you hear it, you see it, you do it, and then everything begins to change your own. But anyway, one of the things that uh, the powerful thing is is having your kids tell you, all right, so we're going to Grandma and Grandpa's. Yep. What do we do? Hey, we're going into the, the grocery store. All right, guys. And so they have to think of it because, once again, I want to raise up responsible children. So responsible means that I'm the one. And so they begin to go, well, i got to do this, and we got to know. So we had one time I was taking the kids. I think Peyton was like three, and the other boys are like 10, 9, 6. And I'm like, all right, guys, we're going in the store. Well, you know, what do we do? And the kids are like, all right, we don't, we don't touch stuff. All right, we stay by dad. We're not loud. We're quiet. If somebody says hi, we say hi. And then Peyton goes, and we don't pee on the floor. <laughs> and they go, 100%. Yeah. Peyton nailed it. That was the most. We had another one with Savvy. I just thought of this one when you were talking. Savannah, she was like three. We were going to do parenting at Marilyn Hickey's church, one of the great, one of the great generals of all times. So and we're driving in the car, and we're getting there. So we're, we're preloading this. So we're like, hey, Marilyn Hickey, we get, this is a big deal for mom and dad. I mean, she's like one of our heroes. We've been speaking in her life. Yes. I mean, my, I used to listen to her on tape. Yes. And so, right, so what do we do? And the kids are going through everything. We're nice and polite. And, right, and then Savvy goes, and we don't say bad things. And uh, we're like, yes. And she goes like, and then she just begins to say all the bad things in the world. She's like, suck, beep, 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 beep. And we're all just like, beep, 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 beep. We go, yes. Yeah, all those. None of that. Don't say any of those words. Just, you could have stopped it. Don't say bad things. would have been great. We all got it. We knew what she was talking about. She just wanted to make sure that she. Let the brothers know these are all the things we don't say. Yeah. But you wonder, where'd she find those words? I don't I know. Don't. <laughs> I wanted to know later, who is saying those words? And there's never a good time for those words. So who's, <laughs> who's speaking those words? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. All right, so um, we don't lower the standard. What we do is we raise the expectation. You know, your children will either go raise up to your expectation or they're lower to where your expectation is, whatever that is. So one of the biggest things is, is first-time obedience. Are we going to raise children who one day, remember I parent today for what I want them to experience in the future, who the boss has to ask them five or six times to do something? Is that what we're doing? Oh, we're raising up, or God asks them to do Holy something, Spirit. or anybody, yeah. Holy Spirit tells Holy them to Spirit. do something, right? Is it, is, it, yeah. is it, or are you raising somebody who goes, we're first-time obedience. When I'm asked, mm -hmm. I do it, and I do it with a happy heart. Right? That's a big deal. A lot of times parents are like, hey, I need you to clean your room. And they storm down the thing and they slam the door. And in the parent's mind, it's like, well, they're doing what I ask. No, no, no. God is more into your heart than your action. No, when, when the end, because I'm like, once again, let's think about the future. Now you've raised somebody who the boss asked them to do something and they got the little bad attitude now and all upset and mad, right, because they got to go do this thing. Is that giving them a better future or holding them back from a good future? Because I parent today for what I want tomorrow. So when we ask you to do something, you do it with a happy heart. That's our expectation. Now, you don't get it every time, right? Yeah, hey, kids, I need you to do this. Isn't that? Oh. And then mom goes, happy heart. And then we make the kids put a smile on. Yeah. Like, nope, I want to see a smile on your face. And they do that poor smile where they're like, right? And, 
and you're fine. You're like, good, I don't care as long as you're smiling, right? <laughs> Just smile, whistle while you work. And, but it's funny that when you force a smile on it, it doesn't take long before they're doing and they're laughing and they're doing the job. And what we're doing is we're training them one day to find out to have the self-control. The boss gave me something I don't want to do. Smile and be happy. Remind myself to, that I, I do all things under the Lord. And before long, I'm enjoying it. I'm being great at it. Once again, parent today, for the, the successful things, I want to become habits in their heart tomorrow. Well, science follows that. They mm -hmm. say that like when you're having a bad day, if you'll look in a mirror, if you'll find like a window that has a reflection and you make yourself smile, you'll, you do something on the inside of like yourself and in your brain. There's like science follows that. So it's very hard to be like really annoyed and smile. You can be annoyed and you can think, wow, that's really annoying. But when you smile, you, you, you're, actions in your, everything will follow that smile. It'll follow it. You, we have it on the inside of us. The joy of the Lord lives on the inside of us, right? It's a fruit of the spirit. So, um, you have a never ending, always filled well of joy on the inside of us. We just have to make the decision. It's a choice to choose it. And joy will always, it'll always lead to greater, amazing things. It can lead to us having peace. It can lead to us being completely happy. It can lead to us feeling fulfilled because we are, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. So I have the power to choose joy no matter what, what is going on. I have that supernatural gift on the inside of me. Um, what I wanted to talk about, you were saying something about first-time obedience. And I wanted to talk, for those of you who have little ones, I was just sharing at the table with Pastor that you can't have in your mind first-time obedience and count to five can't be a counter. So if you've got little guys and you're a counter, my mom was a counter, and um, completely ineffective. And if you're a counter, does it work? Because, okay, because what's happening is most of the time, one, it, it, depending on what your count is, like if you're like, I'm a count to one, well, yay, that's kind of first time obedience. But if you're counting to five, most of the time, especially if you've got gamblers in the family, they're going to stay and wait till five. And what I found is that just made my mom's head pop off, right? Because she's thinking, I'm going to count to five, you're going to come on one. It never happened. So you just sat watching her get more and more frustrated. You saw her blood pressure literally rising because she's thinking that she's going to count to five. Child's going to come on one because it's a really cool threat. But child's like all in. They're like, show me what you got. I'll wait till four. And so... <laughs> so there is merit in saying, listen, we're not going to count anymore. When I ask you to come, I'm just going to have an expectation that you're going to come when I call you because I'm the mom or I'm the dad and I'm calling you and there's merit and there's reward <laughs> for being obedient to that, to that voice. Um, because all it does is it does, it riles us up. It gets us so frustrated. Scott likes to say we make up math right? Because we're one, oh my gosh. You three, see them. two. I can, come here. Nope. You hear mommy? Mommy's, I'm going to count to three. One. Did you hear me? Two. Did you hear mommy? I said come. Two and a half. I'm now that we start making it, we're like two and five ace. I don't know. I don't know math good enough now. I don't know what, what's going on here. 2.8. Two point, and they're gamblers. When do they come? Right. And you go three and then here they come. Yep. Well, why did you go through the hassle? Because now you're frustrated, right? Uh, everybody's and, and annoyed. Now, 
Now we just want to, mm-hmm. and then oftentimes, they, you know, they say that successful people, one of the differences about successful people is they make their greatest decisions from a calm, collected, peaceful mind and countenance. We never make good decisions when we're ticked, right? <laughs> <laughs> and if we do, I, I don't know about you, but I've always ended up having to apologize for decisions I made when I was really, really mad. <laughs> I always end up having to go back and say, I'm so sorry I blew it, which is kind of dumb because like, it started you know, needing them to comply. It's really cruddy when you have to go back and then apologize for a moment that you lost everything when in the, in, in the beginning it would have been fine if they just would have obeyed. So um, that's just my encouragement. Maybe, you know, sit. If you've got kids that are used to you counting, let them know. Hmm, I think I'm going to try something different going forward. Let's just see. I don't know. Just an idea. Amen. Yeah, don't go home today and just expect that everything's going to change. <laughs> we, we talk about it in the program. Because you do have to, um, and we'll talk about tomorrow night um, about discipline. We, our program has a, a flow chart. You literally can go through and you find it, and you go, all right, this is what we do. Um, because many parents don't, how do we do this? Great, I want you to come on the first time, but, but you don't. So what's, what do I do with that? Well, the Bible talks very clearly about discipline as change direction, right? right? And what does that mean? It means I do whatever I have to ta- do to change your direction, right? You're going in a direction that's going to harm your life or going to limit you or, or make you an annoying person. And so I have to make sure that I have tools as a parent. The Bible talks many times about making sure that if I love my kids, that I do discipline them because I have to drive the rebellion out. Because if you leave rebellion in a child, they become a fool. And a lot of you know there's adults out there that are fools because their parents didn't get out the rebellion. And there is a difference between rebellion and childishness. We talk about that, right? And you can't treat childishness like rebellion, and you can't treat rebellion like childishness. And you see that parents, they get that mixed up because they don't know the difference. So they're treating each thing different, and they exasperate their children, exasperate their home. Everybody's upset, and you brought no change to the child. So my discipline has to bring directional change. When I ask a child to do something... It's very important that you do it. There's many reasons. I can give you so many reasons why. One, it's not annoying. One, if if you have to count, how many people know when they get a job one day, their boss isn't going to go, all right, I need you to do that paperwork. Did you hear me? I'm going to count to five. See, you're making their life, their life is a rude awakening. Everything gets, right, they don't understand. They're in school. The teacher doesn't count. People don't count. What's going on? How come, how come things have changed, right? A teacher asks you, you do it. We want to raise up kids who honor authority and who listen and obey with a happy heart and so and it's you know it's really it's kind of cool because I remember many times but I I remember I'm out front and the the boys are playing the neighbor is over there here's the you know the neighbor guy we're talking a little bit and and Peyton was maybe four years old and he was he was you know he was running in such a way a little close to the street and so I said hey Peyton come here real quick right? Because I wanted to talk to him. And Peyton stopped what he was doing, and he came over, and I said, hey, blah, blah, blah. And then he went off, and the parent goes, how did you do that? How, what trick are you got? The, the, and, I go, and you forget. You go, oh, yeah, I called him, and he came. Like, that's not normal to him. He doesn't know what that looks like when you call a child, a four-year-old, and they actually come, and then they actually follow your instructions. But how many people know if I can't get a four-year-old to follow my instructions, I won't get a 12-year-old. I won't get a 14-year-old. I won't get a 15. I have to have the same ability at 15 to go, hey, come here real quick. All right. Hey, you know, these friends that you're hanging out with, 
No, we can't do that, right? And be able to have confidence that I've instilled in them that my voice has the answers for life. And then make sure that they're following my voice. But if they don't follow me at four, they won't follow me at 15 and they won't follow me at 16. Well, it's a safety thing as well. Like, it's not just so that my kids, you know do what I say. All I, I mean, obviously we want our kids to be obedient. We want them to do what we ask or request, but they are kids and I get that. But you know, there's also safety stuff in that. I remember you have a story about one of our guys being in the playing in the street or whatever and a car or they were riding their bike or something and a car was coming. And you know, if, if you, if you, if I had to count, if he had to count, you know, they could have been injured. They wouldn't be here. And so he had to be able, his voice had to matter so much that when he said, hey, they came right away, and sure enough, here came a car barely. Well, he the was riding his bike Correct. in our driveway, and go, I was letting him, he was just learning. He was going out in the street a little bit, and then I was letting him do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, it happened. And so far, I was the teenager racing down the road, and yeah. I didn't understand why these grown-ups all mad. And now I know, right? Because right? here comes this Mustang flying, literally. And you, you look and you do the math. He's going down the thing. It's, he, the guy's not going to be able to see. He's going to get ran over. Seconds. I had one second yeah. to say, Lycan, stop. Yeah. And he just fell off his bike. <laughs> he just went, boop, just like that. But I had to have that. Had I had a kid that's like, oh, whatever, Dad, you know, it, 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 right? But you have to have that ability at 16 to go stop yeah. and be able to still be able to speak into their life. Yeah. And, you know, we created an incredible world. I got a 21-year-old that's, you know, going to college, living in a house. And we can go, hey, uh, Peyton, can you take out the trash when you're done with that? And he's like, yeah, I'm on it. And you, right, you go, it's, it's neat. Hey, Savvy, I need you to do the dishes. She's like, on it, right? It's it's. It's a neat way. It's hard to be unhappy. I said that. We put joy into our future because for many parents, hey, I need you. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And you have to deal with the whining and everything because you have not put joy up into your future. But when they're young, train them in the way they should go, and they cannot depart from it. They're happier. Everybody's happier. I have things we have to do in the house. I have stuff. I don't go to work. I don't work. I don't want to go make money today. I hate this. Right? That's not a good... That doesn't raise up great, great humans. First-time obedience is, the, is so important to have with our children. When I ask you to do something, you do it. Right? I'm not going to call you five times. We talk about a lot about that because there has to be context for the situation. And I have to also give my children some freedoms in um, we call where they where they can say, "Hey, I'm doing." So I say, "Hey, I need you to take out the trash." A child has to have the freedom to go, "Hey, uh, in a respectful way." Hey, I'm watching a show. Can I do it on a commercial, or you know, can I do it in 10, 15 when the show is over? They have to have that freedom to be able to do that. We're not legalistic. We're like, "I said, take out the trash," uh, and like it's crazy and that right? No. It, we have to have a, a relationship, loving home where I can say, hey, I need you to go clean up your room. And they go, oh, can I finish doing this? I'm in the middle of this. And then I have the freedom, though. And most of the time I go, yeah, that's fine. But I also do have the freedom to go, I'm so sorry. We have people coming over. I really need you to yeah. do it now. And they go, okay, I'm on it. And they understand because most of the time when they appeal to us, most of the time, a good appeal, we're like, yeah, if it's respectful, we're like, yeah, 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 finish that up, and then I need you to go do this. And so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great relationship where we don't exasperate the child with our legalistic orders all throughout the house, but instead, it's more of, hey, I need your help with this, I need you to do that, and they do it with a happy heart. Amen? 
All right, we are on yeah, Lake and you did the Lake and the Bike, and we did raise the expectation. That's our expectations. Uh, when you have young ones, you may have uh, two, three, one. We deal with fits and tantrums um, early on, and maybe you haven't, and so you have a little bit of work ahead of you, and that's okay. Um, but you have to be mindful of it, that a child that is left to themselves becomes a fool. A child who's left to their emotions will raise up to be a fool, who will be a handful for everyone in their life. Every relationship will be a struggle if we don't teach our children to control their emotions. We start as, as young as like six months, real small, and then usually about a one-year-old, we start dealing with uh, uh, fits and tantrums uh, in a simple way, and then it carries over to two and three. And the simplest way, if you have a one-year-old, is as soon as they, you know, they, we have a little honey, little one-year-old, and she's just started doing the, where, you know, she throws her head back, and you could tell because she didn't get the little whatever she wanted. And so what do you, well, what do, you do with that? Well, we, our simple way was, you can have emotions in our house. We get it. Emotions are fine. But you have to control them, and you don't have to annoy me with your emotions. So we would simply take our one-year-old, put them in their, in, their, in their crib, and go, okay, when you're done, Dad's going to come get you, all right? So when you're done, I'm going to come get you. Close the door, go out. They throw their little thing, and the first one can be, pretty, can be a good one, but they learn very quickly. And then all of a sudden, they stop crying, and you come and you go, all done. And they're like, all done, and there you go. What do I do? You can have emotions, but you have to control it. And then it carries over. Well, now they're two years old, maybe two and a half, three years old. Hey, can I have a cookie? No, I don't have a cookie. Here comes the, the, the little fit and the tantrum, right? At home, I'm doing this at home. And then I go, oh, go to your room. You can come out when you're done. Once again, you can have the emotion. I get that. Life has upsetting things. There's going to be ups and downs. I get it, right? But you're not going to annoy me with it. So go, go to your room. And so they go down the hall, and they're crying all the way down the hall. They get in the room, and then they stop, right? And they, they go, I'm all done. I'm like, well, get out here. All right, good, right? And you find out that it gets shorter. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, go to your room. And they take three steps, and they turn around, and they go, all done. I'm like, all right, great, all done. All right, let's go back about our day. And so what am I doing? I'm building the self-control muscle for my two-year, my one-year-old to two-year-olds to three-year-olds to the point that you get to about three, three and a half, four years old. And now you can go to the store, and they're like, hey, can I have some candy? And there's other parents around, too. And I go, no, we're not going to do candy today. And they go, okay. And the parents go, how did you do that? What happened? How did that happen? What, what magic trick are you doing to get that? Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't start it at the store because I see a lot of parents battling their kids at the store. And the point is, and I'm not saying we never had that. We get into what to deal with with the store fits and stuff because it's still going to happen when they're two, two and a half, three years old, right? They feel like they got you all blackmailed here. What am I going to do, right? I don't want to be on TikTok today, <laughs> right? So what do I, we talk about that, how to deal with that in, in, in the thing. But most, most of the stuff, the parenting happens at home so that when I get out to the store, they've developed the self-control muscle, able because what's going to happen, one day they have a job and I want to raise, and the boss is like, no, I can't do raises right now. You know, things are a little tight, right? And you don't want the one that throws the fit in the tantrum because they didn't get their way. Their spouse says something, and they throw the tantrum because they have not been taught how to control their emotions. Well, I was going to just add, and it, I'm kind of reiterating what you just said, but most of our negative emotions are used or come out of us in an attempt to manipulate the situation, right? Yeah, or to manipulate to get what we're wanting to get. And so what is so powerful about taking a little one-year-old or a two-year-old and, and removing them from whatever it is that they're, th wherever we're at, and placing them in an area where it's just them and they're left with their little emotions and, and you know, saying things like, I'll, I'll return when you are done, <laughs> you're removing the audience. You're removing what 
what ultimately they're trying to manipulate to get their way, you're removing that from them. And so what happens is they're now forced to deal with the emotion because like Scott said, emotions are so healthy. God gave us emotions for so many various reasons, right? We're called to guard our heart. Well, you need to have boundaries in your life and you need to first know that you need to guard your heart or that something's not safe or something is toxic. So, and, and, and how do we know that? Well, emotion, right? So the emotions themselves are really powerful tools in our lives. It's a very powerful tool for our, our going further in this life and for our successes. But not if they're telling us how to be. It's us being able to draw on them or being zinged in the moment and going, oh, okay, wow, what am I feeling right now? And then making a decision, knowing you have self-control, to say, okay, that didn't feel great. We'll revisit that later, but we're gonna go this direction now, right? Rather than being reactionary. We can be reactionary in that, what am I gonna choose in this moment? Because I have the power to choose. And that is what you're trying to in, instill in that little person, in that little human, is you're trying to let them know emotions are a powerful tool. They're going to get you super far in life if you know how to lead them and not let them drive you. And so you remove the audience, you pop them in their little solitary area, and then make sure though, for you, those of you who have little ones, make sure that you are right on it. The minute that they calm down, you sweep them back up. Because it's cause and effect. You're showing them, see what we do here? When you can control your emotions, when you can talk to mom and dad with like calm and peaceful words and, and use your words, this is the affirming, this is what happens. This is the solution. This is how this works. And pretty soon you're gonna see kids that are kinda like, okay, it is, it's like a cause and effect. They get it. They're like, well, if I throw a fit, try to manipulate the situation, it's not gonna lead to anything good. I'm gonna be stuffed over in my crib by myself. You know, no one to watch my my uh, theatrical debut. Um, yeah. So again, you're just giving them, you're telling them they have that. And that's another thing I love is that you're showing them in that moment. They have the power to turn it on and off. Mm -hmm. They may not even know they have the, the power to do that. You're literally teaching them in that moment by removing them and not giving them an audience. You're telling them, look at this amazing skill you have. Wow. And then you pick them up and you affirm it and you let them know. And pretty soon they're realizing, oh, okay, so I can manipulate a different way. <laughs> right, because you see parents trying to negotiate with a kid throwing a fit. Well, okay, we're not having a cookie because we're going to have dinner and everything. Right? You're trying to talk them off of a fit. But how many people know when the emotions are there high? Nothing you say. Right? Jesus could come down and go, hey, you shouldn't have a cookie right now. They're like, I don't care. Right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So I need to train you to be able to control those emotions that you have the power to control them. And then you just have to, you know, it's funny, you deal with the young, you deal, it'll come up a little bit. We actually just had our 16 year old daughter the other night, maybe two nights ago, she was having a meltdown. And we had to say, hey, you can have your emotions. I said, but don't you roll your eyes? Absolutely not. And when you talk to your mom, I get it, you're emotional. When you talk to your mom, you will talk in a respectful manner. That's how we do things. I get it that you're upset. I get that, I understand that. Life has upsetting things, but that doesn't ever give you a right to talk the way that you think that you can talk right now. So if you want dad to take it to the next level, I don't think we want to go there, but if you want to, we can go there. What do you want to do? And all of a sudden, all right, I want to see a smile. Mm -hmm. All right, here comes a smile. Don't roll your eyes, and I want you to say what you're trying to say, but you will say it in a respectful way. And here it comes. 
How was I able to do that? Because I know a lot of parents, when they have a 16-year-old daughter who is going off the rails in her emotion, right, and things get crazy, don't have the power because we taught her at three and at four and at five that you can control your emotions. And how is that going to add when she gets married one day, right? That's going to make that, that, that whoever she, whatever lucky man happens to, to land her, he's going to come and have to thank me. I'll maybe pay me every month. I don't know. It's going to be something big. <laughs> I'm going to let them know, yeah, we did that. We fought the battle, and now you get the harvest. Well, here, here's the thing, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in on this because I really think right now we're living in an emotional world. And I, and, and I triggered. Oh, my god. There is no solution in losing it. There's no solution in losing it. We actually get ourselves into greater bigger issues. Like I said earlier, we just end up having to apologize for things that weren't even the issue in the beginning. And we need to, and, so, and so this is one of the big things I'm on a kick right now. And I, I taught our staff this because right now the world is, the world is trying to tell the few or the many, the world is trying to tell the many what not to say in an effort not to trigger people rather than asking the majority to just not be easily offendable. Don't be easily offended. Come on, that's so good. If I walk every single day trusting the best out of everybody I encounter, I won't even probably recognize when you do have a problem with me. If I'm walking and I'm just looking to see the great in you, whether it's someone serving me coffee and wants to have a massive conversation before I've been caffeinated, or it's one of my kids who I have like a life impact on. If I am thinking the best of somebody going into anything, I'm probably not even going to register even if I should be triggered. And so one of the big things that I, I taught our staff is let's be people who say before we ever respond in kind, let's be people that say what is my role and what I feel right now? What is my role? and what I'm feeling right now? What is my accountability, or what am I to take ownership of what I feel in this moment right now? Because I'm not asking for people to own someone else's bad day. I'm just asking for you to let them go on their merry way and you go the opposite direction. I don't have to tell them that they're having a bad day. They feel their bad day. But I don't have to respond to it and take ownership like I caused it especially if they didn't say that I did. If they're just treating me annoying because they're annoyed in the moment, let them be annoyed, walk away. So it's a powerful thing when you can just stop before you say anything back. And believe me, we all come into contact with people that are super not nice for no reason. And we're nice people, right? Amen? I've got Jesus. How can you, how can you treat someone who carries Jesus on the inside like that? Don't I shine? Am I not shiny when I walk up to you? So what I do is I simply just have to take a deep breath. It's a process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't always make it. But it's powerful to say what is my role and how I'm feeling right now. Is, it, is there anything I need to take accountability for? Talk about conflict resolution in your homes. Talk about conflict resolution with your parent. I'm talking, you know, even as you're, if you're an adult. What about a sibling? What is my role and what I'm feeling right now? What is my accountability in the situation I am walking out right now? Because right now we're in a world where accountability is always reserved, reserved for the other person. Amen. 
right? You got a preview of the book she's finishing up called Happy Girl. And uh, yeah, no, it's going to be how to be happy all the time, no matter what's going on in your life. And uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook because you'll be able to see when it comes out because I mean, it's life change. It's really, really good. Um, happy girl. I'm going to close. Give me two minutes and then um, we'll come back again tomorrow night and kind of kick off from here. Um, our kids today are addicted to choice. They have more. I didn't have choice. I don't know about anybody grew up in my generation. I don't know. I'm older than most of you in here. Uh, we had three channels to watch TV on. That's what we had. And uh, there was hardly anything on, like during the day, Saturday, there was nothing on but golf and stupid stuff, right? We didn't have a lot of choices. Uh, today, kids have so much choice in life. Um, but then when it comes down to what's going to give them success in life, right, it gets narrowed down. And then all they want is a lot of choices. And I think that too many choices for our children... Um, because they just get addicted to it, where everything is, becomes a choice, and it becomes annoying in life, and it really limits them in the future. So I get it. They can watch kind of what they want to watch on television within you know, what we say you can do. But there's things that happen, like where we have to cook one child a separate meal every night because they don't, right? They don't, I don't like it, right? You have that kid that doesn't like it. Hey, well, I'm sorry. This is what life happens, and this is what the family's eating tonight. So I don't know what to tell you. But this is what we do. We don't, I'm sorry, I'm not a chef. There's not a menu where you get to pick out what you want, right? I love, one of my favorite stories is I remember growing up, we go to, my brother was that person. Everything, the opposite. Wherever we wanted to go, we go to Taco Bell. And my brother also always, we didn't have money. We were broke. So just going out to Taco Bell was a big deal. And so my brother always picked the most expensive thing. My parents were like, no, you don't get to, I'm sorry. And my, parent, my dad was always big about, you don't get to choose. This is what we're getting. So my dad orders drive through. He's like, all right, I want uh, I have six tacos. And Jason in the back, he's like, I want nachos. I want nachos. And, and so he's just making like a little fit, right? And he's like four years old. And so we get the tacos. And he's like, I want nachos. My mom goes, you want nachos? He goes, yes. She goes, okay. She took the taco and she crumpled it up. She goes, there you go. There's your nachos. He got nachos. Come on, that's how you make nachos, amen? You get a lot of choices. I remember um, Baylor, like, I, I, so uh, you get what I give you and you don't throw a fit unless I ask. So I'm getting cups out and I, get, I hand Baylor a, a, a cup and he's like, I want the blue cup. And I'm like, I'm sorry, son, you get the green cup. He's like, I want the blue cup. I go, well, here's the thing. In your lifetime, I'll never give you the blue cup. Now, you lost blue. Blue is gone to you. You will get the green cup every time I give you a cup until you're happy, but it'll still be for the rest of your life. Even today, I will not give him a blue cup. He gets a green cup because they have to learn to accept. They'll get job things. They'll get stuff to do. There'll be things in their life that happens that you do have no choice, and you have to learn to be happy with what you have been given. It's a secret to a happy life. Life doesn't always give you the blue cup. Most of the time, life gives you the green cup. Can I get an amen out there, out there? So how do I be happy? Paul's like, I can be happy with the blue cup or the green cup when I have a lot and when I have nothing, when I'm shipwrecked and when I'm a bad, right? He's like, I learned to be content in all situations. And we take away the muscle ability of our children being content because we're dancing around every little whim that they have. No, I'm sorry, you get the green cup and you'll have it for the rest of your life until you can be happy with it. Amen. I encourage you to come back tomorrow night. If you are interested any time of running a group, it's easy. You don't have to, there's nothing you do. You just run a meeting. You have, you like watch the videos with like a couple of your friends. You're like, we want to go through the train up a parent. Find me. Um, we want to sew into that group and make it, the videos are all free. 
the books, everything. And uh, we just really want to get this message so parents can have what we have today as their children grow up. Amen. If you learn anything at all, give the Lord a hand clap and a loo loo loo.